Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Welcome back, Renegades. Welcome, Renegades. Welcome. Today on our podcast, Eleni has one of her heroes, her girl crush, her science crush on today. This is so exciting. Um, Eleni will be freaking out. <laughs> and I know, and I looked you up, Lisa, and we are going to learn so much from you. Your pod, uh, your um, Instagram, your podcast is amazing. Um, I'm really excited for today. Yes. Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, Lisa Hendrickson Jack. This is like a groundbreaking moment for me. I don't know if Kay shared this, but when Kay and I first started our podcast, gosh, February of 2022, we created yep. this list of dream people that dream. we have on there. Like, this is who we will someday have yeah. on our podcast. High in the sky. Yes. Yep. Just manifesting it. And yep. Lisa, your name was on there and has been on there from the beginning for me. So this is just so fun and exciting yes. to have you on. And I'm I'm just, yeah, I'm beyond excited because Lisa has done so much for the field of fertility awareness mm -hmm. for education and body literacy. And I can't wait to dive into it. So Welcome to the podcast, Lisa Hendrickson Jack, F A E H R H P. <laughs> you can tell us what all that means and your qualifications, but welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I you're you're both so sweet and I'm just so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, yes. Yes. Okay, and describe those letters for our listeners. What what are you um, titled in? <laughs> sure. I'm a fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner. And I've been working in the field to really bring awareness to the fact that our menstrual cycle is not just about having babies, mm -hmm. it's a vital sign. Um, that's what I argued in my first book. Um, and now in my second book, I'm really, um, I had an incredible opportunity with my co-author, Lily Nichols, to really marry the importance of nutrition for fertility and also to support menstrual cycle health. So um, that is, Someone who gave me a megaphone <laughs> and let me go on about this, but it's uh, an issue that's close to my heart, and I feel like we learned so many interesting things in junior high. Like I remember learning about like the ear, like the anvil, and whatever. Yeah, but <laughs> we need to be learning about our menstrual cycles because mm -hmm. it makes such a huge difference in our lives. I mean, we're talking about building our families here, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Lisa and her work, she has on Instagram, she's there as Fertility Fridays. And her book is called, uh, the one that I'm most familiar with is The Fifth Vital Sign. I have had that. It's like highlighted, dog-eared, yes. all the things that you shouldn't do to a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and you have a couple other books. And I'm so excited about this book that's coming out with Lily Nichols because Lily is one of my other heroes. Her Real Food for Pregnancy book is one of my top recommendations. So I have on my bookshelf, because I'm a nutritionist and I help women with a lot of those um, either menstrual cycle issues <clears throat> or as they're working towards uh, pregnancy health, trying to conceive, and then the fourth trimester. And so I have Laura Bryden's Period Repair Manual that I loan out a lot. And then Lisa Hendrickson's Jack's The Fifth Vital Sign that mm -hmm. I loan out a lot. And then Lily Nichols' Real Food for Pregnancy book. So those are the three that probably get the most checked out from my library, I would say, that I'm constantly having to like make sure I'm getting back. But that's amazing. it's just this amazing triad and I'm so glad that you are working with Lily Nichols because that is just huge and that is information that the world needs and we're going to talk with Lisa today all about menstrual cycle health and why the menstrual cycle is the fifth vital sign and kind of what that means because I do one of my intake questions for women is about whether they are menopausal or postmenopausal or premenopausal or <laughs> yep. trying to conceive, I always ask about their menstrual cycles because I learned early on in my career from Lisa Hendrickson Jack and Lara Bryden how important the menstrual cycle is in determining a, a woman's health, overall health. And it's amazing how few women don't know a lot of information about their menstrual cycles. Like when I ask that question, they have a hard time answering it. And so 
Today, we're going to get into why you should know everything you can possibly know about your menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what it can tell you about your health. And I'm so excited for this conversation. Yeah. Give us all the good, all the good juice that we need to know. Um, yeah. Hit us with the good stuff here. And maybe, maybe start with your story a little bit, Lisa. Like, why did you get into this field of fertility awareness and become an mm-hmm. educator in that? What drove that passion? I want to yep. know. Yes. Well, I'll try to not let that take up the whole interview. <laughs> because of course, the story could go on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, the abbreviated version is that since my very first period, uh, my very first period was painful and heavy. So mm-hmm. I had what they would call primary dysmenorrhea. And I would also say menorrhagia because my periods were super heavy. I was also really active. I was, you know, doing track and field and, you know, doing ballet. So a leotard and, you know, menorrhagia don't really go together. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, so being a, a teenager and girls talk. So mm-hmm. to me, the solution seemed to be the pill because that's what people said. You go on the pill and your mm-hmm. periods are easier to manage. So went on the pill and it was interesting like you know i said two words and the doctor was already writing a prescription mm-hmm. uh-huh. and um and i did find that my pill periods were lighter and more manageable so being a child i was like oh i'm fixed and so mm-hmm. every now and then i would come off of the pill because i wasn't actually using it for birth control mm-hmm. only to find that my periods came back with a vengeance and mm-hmm. so i didn't have the language to to describe what was going on But I did see that at an early age that the pill periods weren't the same and it actually didn't fix me. So then when I was uh, needing birth control, I decided to do the opposite of what most people do. I actually came off the pill because I didn't trust it because I had always taken it, you know, not at the right time and like all Mm. of that kind of stuff. And I had read the the inserts and I was I I felt like I was always going to be scared that I might be pregnant and not know it because sometimes I would take the pill consecutively, right, like skip a Mm. period and things. That was like my biggest fear to be pregnant and not know it. Yeah, um, for sure. So, Terrifying. Uh, so yeah, so right around this time, I grew up in the 90s and in the 90s, they were really talking about HIV a lot and AIDS mm. and, and we learned uh-huh. that the co- condoms were effective. So I thought to myself, well, if I'm on the pill and I'm going to use condoms all the time because I'm terrified, mm-hmm. then why don't I just use condoms all the time? Yeah. This was my logic. So then right around that time, I discovered fertility awareness, and that made a huge shift. Um, I discovered that I wasn't fertile every day, that I could track my cycle and and use that in conjunction with my plan A, condoms, to um, feel a lot more confident and, and have um, the overall, you know, preventing pregnancy be much more effective. So along this path, I ended up um, joining a group of women who were teaching fertility awareness and taking a class with a group of women in my early 20s. We were teaching this stuff at a really grassroots level, but I never thought I could make a career out of it. It just didn't seem like a thing that would make sense. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, I was able to use the method all through my 20s. I was able to you know, teach at the grassroots level and it made a huge impact on my life. Um, and then when I had my first son, that was really the motivation to share it. Because it was at that time, I mean, you know, mama bear instincts coming out, <laughs> I thought to myself, well, hey, I'm working anyways, may as well do something that matters now that it means time away from my kid. Right. Um, but also, I looked around and I realized the world hadn't changed. Like I had had this knowledge, and it really impacted my life. But to, you know, still, even right now, the average woman really doesn't know how her fertility works. So I decided to put out a podcast just to see if anyone would, you know, care about what I had to say. And so it turns out that they did. And um, out of that came the books. And the book, the first book was a way for me to like, you know, the, the, the reaction when women learn about the charting and the cycle and, you know, fertility awareness is, you know, why didn't anybody tell me this? Everybody, every woman needs to know this stuff. So my book was kind of like my way of being like, here, yeah, <laughs> read this. Yeah. And then we'll talk. Um, and so it's just come out of there. So that is the, the brief um uh, explanation as to uh, what led me to do this work. I love it. That's incredible. It's it's just it's so true. I'm sure you're familiar with the like Kindara community, and that was where I even first learned in my probably mid twenties, mid twenties. Like mm-hmm. this still makes me so mad mm-hmm. as a woman that we're not taught about our bodies by mm-hmm. our school in like said sex education when we're not taught by our doctors. I wasn't taught by my like mom, who mm-hmm. also probably didn't really know that much. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> True. Um, I mean, it, I was in my yeah mid to late twenties, and 
I first learned getting on Kendara because my sister was like, hey, you know, you're going to get married sometime soon and you should check out Kendara and start learning about your fertility. And she also bought me, I think it was, is it Tony Weston Mastering Your Fertility? Is that the book? Um, anyway. Tony Weschler's Taking Charge of Your Yeah, Taking Charge of Your Fertility, mm-hmm. that one. Yes, Tony Weschler. Um, Yes. So she had given me that book and that was like, Kendara was the first place that I started to learn, oh, I can't get pregnant every day of my cycle. You're right. We should know this before mid-20s. Right? Like, why this. I know that? Yeah. And then Same. I realized, and then that's actually one of the places where I first learned about you, Lisa, because you're such a like a hero on Kendara. There's so many women that recommend when people are just starting out on their journey and they're asking all these questions about like, how do I know if I've ovulated? How do I know when I'm fertile? You're like one of the top names along with Laura Bryden of like, hey, go check out Fertility Fridays. Go learn from Lisa Hendricks and Jack. She's got this wealth of knowledge. And so that's actually where I first learned about you. But I just remember feeling so mad. I'm like, what? wasn't this a pretty basic thing they could have taught us in sex ed? Like mm-hmm. it also just to me, yep. and maybe I'm just like, I don't know. It makes me feel like society kind of treats women like we're dumb because we're not taught how to read our cycles almost as if it's like, well, that's too complicated for women to learn how to track their temperatures and learn how to like track their cycles in order to avoid pregnancy. So we're just going to teach them that they can get pregnant any time of their cycle. And that way they'll either take birth control or use condoms and they won't get pregnant. As if like learning to read your cycle is some difficult thing that right. like any woman couldn't handle. Like, right. Right. <laughs> anyway, right. it just kind of set me on this course when I learned um, about it and I was so mad. But anyway, yes. I digress. For our listeners, can you talk to us, Lisa? Like, what do you mean by a vital sign? What is a vital sign? How does our period act as a vital sign? And why should women who are not trying to get pregnant care about mm-hmm. like what, what their period health is like? That's such a great question. I mean... Um, I, I almost want to comment on the the last part of what you said, but yeah. maybe I'll wait until after. Yeah. Um, but um, a vital sign is is basically your you know a, a bodily response that can be measured, something that is significant. And so the most common vital signs that we're familiar with include our heart rate, our body temperature, our respiratory rate, like how many breaths per minute, you know, blood pressure, things like that. And if you think about something like blood pressure. If your doctor measures, we know that there is a range of what would we we would consider normal. And we also know that if the blood pressure was too high, it gives the doctor a specific idea of like, well, what are the things that could cause it to be high? Or if it's too low, what are the things that could cause it to be low? So not only does it provide some general information about health, but it also provides your practitioner with a bit of a roadmap of, of where to start looking if it's off. And in the same way, your menstrual cycle, so the whole cycle, including your period, can be used because um, for someone who's aware of how the menstrual cycle can change with various health issues, it can actually really help us to identify some of the things that are happening. So, for example, um, you know, I just gave the um, example of myself with my, you know, heavy periods and painful periods. Um, As much as we've been sold the story that painful periods are just a normal part of life Mm -hmm. and it's just a part of being a woman. If periods are excessively painful, that can provide us with a lot of information. I mean, there is a difference between what they call primary dysmenorrhea, like in my case where your periods were painful from the beginning, and secondary dysmenorrhea, which is that uh, a case where a woman didn't always have painful periods, but then at some point she starts to have really painful periods. So the most common cause of secondary dysmenorrhea is endometriosis, which is a severe, you know, in in many cases, disease that can, you know, kind of cripple, it's an ongoing chronic issue. And it can also contribute to infertility issues, they say as many as 50% of, you know, infertility cases could be related to endometriosis. So it's this whole situation where, um, when we learn to look at our cycle, as a marker of health, then whether you're actively trying to conceive or not, it does have some implications and it could help you to detect certain things uh, earlier than otherwise you would have. Absolutely. Wow. And I think too, like just even uh, I, you know, so I was one of those people who it took 12 years for me to get the diagnosis of endometriosis from the time that I first took it to my doctor and said, hey, I, and I had secondary dysmenorrhea. So I didn't have painful periods until I was about 20. And then I started having really painful periods. I went to my doctor and I was like, I'm worried I have endometriosis. And she just basically said, 
you don't. <laughs> yeah, you're good. But if you're having, yeah, well, obviously she did like while you were there, like a laparoscopic procedure. Right, right. Yeah. She did minor right. surgery. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, like for yeah. anyone who doesn't know, I mean, I think what I to clarify what I said, it's you know, fifty percent of cases of unexplained infertility. Yes, just so that I don't miss misspeak too too much. It's interesting that the example that I gave just happened to be your story, which I right. had no idea, right? Yeah. But um, this this is an issue. There's um, when I was writing the the recent book, I was reading all these papers about endometriosis when we were writing the endometriosis section, and <clears throat> it's it's a problem because it can feel like your doctor is intentionally harming you. Mm -hmm. But the bigger issue is a lack of education in in this in these fields. So when you're looking at the research, they do studies about doctors knowledge of endometriosis or doctors knowledge of PCOS. And, you know, the average medical physician, though they obviously are specialized in a variety of, you know, medical issues, it, unless they specifically work with endometriosis or work with endometriosis patients, they often are largely unaware of the um, specific diagnostic criteria. So that makes it very difficult like in your case to get the care that you need because it's it's hard to advocate for yourself i feel like it's unfair i feel like it's unreasonable because if you have a health issue you're not you don't specialize in it and so we often have to then from from scratch find out all of the information that we need um if there's one takeaway from your story and in general it's to try to find the the practitioner physician surgeon if that's a route you're considering who specializes in endometriosis and sees many, many endometriosis cases, because that's really your best bet of having an accurate diagnosis and even a productive conversation at all. Yeah. And even if you're not, like, first of all, even if you're not worried about the crazy painful periods, which are terrible mm -hmm. <laughs> and could be resolved if you have the proper diagnosis, there is the idea that's really beginning to flush out now that endometriosis is an autoimmune condition in nature. And you should be concerned about that because typically when you have one autoimmune condition, it lends itself to developing other autoimmune conditions. So that hasn't been entirely proven, but it's the research is leaning more and more that way where we're starting to see endometriosis as an autoimmune condition and autoimmune conditions run in my family. So to me, it, it totally makes sense. So I think there's so many things that we kind of just attribute to oh, well, I'll just, <laughs> I, I don't need to get pregnant anymore. I'll just have a hysterectomy. Like, let's just remove some vital organs, you know, and not have to deal with the pain anymore. But there's so much more that each of these conditions can be a sign of that's a bigger problem at large. And I think that's why understanding your menstrual cycles is about so much more than just, you know, planning for your family vacation or planning your family. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's just so much more information that can come from it. So, what what does what what does a normal healthy menstrual cycle look like? What should people be expecting? And I know that there's variations that are still normal, but in average. Mm -hmm. Well, so what I can do is take you through the full cycle. It's it's interesting because sometimes when um, when I'm like asked that question or when I'm having that conversation, people are thinking that the menstrual cycle is just the period, you know, and often that's kind of even the language that they use. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll start with the period because that's at the beginning of the cycle. But a healthy period we expect to last anywhere from about three to seven days. The average is, is about five days. And we expect it to, um, I always say a period should have a, a beginning, a middle and an end, like a sentence, and then be over. So we would expect it to start, you know, moderate to heavy and then um, gradually decrease. So um, anyone who's experienced a period, there's typically those heavier bleeding days towards the beginning and then it starts to taper off. Um, we would expect the year period to be a color of red. And I think even if we haven't been given a class about what a period should look like, if you see something that looks really um, lumpy or clotty or like crushed blueberries or like really dark color, we instinctively are kind of like, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. So I think we all kind of have a sense of like what it should look like. And we should really trust um, our intuition about that. So it's not to say clots are so uncommon, um, but we, we would expect a he heavy period to really not have a lot of that going on. Um, the other thing I think that's really important to say, especially in light of what we just talked about, is that, uh, you know, although it's very common to experience pain, I would argue that moderate to severe pain is something that we shouldn't consider 
normal, although mm-hmm. it's very, very common. And the reason isn't to make everything a problem because it's very common for women to experience pain with menstruation, but it's to recognize that um, like when I looked into the period in depth to see what was going on, it's a natural process of tissue degeneration. So there is this aspect of inflama- inflammation that happens as part of the natural process. So we can consider that moderate to heavy um, pain to be when that natural process has gone awry, when we have too much inflammation. So it doesn't immediately mean endometriosis because some women can have severe endometriosis and depending on where it's located, they might not have any pain. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but we should be looking at that as you know not optimal. And another just thing to throw out is you know, imagine any man in your life, you know, partner, friend, father, who had moderate to severe peanut, uh, pain in his penis, <laughs> you know, that required the use of medication for like four to, you know, three, two, three days a month or whatever. Like, no one would think that's okay. No, so, right, right, right. <laughs> right. Yet, yet here we are, right? Yep. So um, that's a, a piece of that. So um, another piece of the bleeding when we're looking at, or another part of kind of the menstrual cycle as a whole, is that in a normal healthy cycle, although it's not uncommon to experience spotting or bleeding outside of the period, that wouldn't be considered optimal. So um, whether it's mid-cycle or the spotting as you approach your period, um, many women experience that as well. But again, in, if we're looking at what's optimal, we would want to recognize that, that that is not optimal. So spotting before the period can be related to you know, low progesterone levels, uh, issues with hormonal balance. Spotting mid-cycle can sometimes just be related with ovulation, but it can also be related to something much more serious. You know, if there's bleeding throughout the cycle on a regular basis, it could be um, something as um, relatively understandable as fibroids or polyps, but it could also be something as severe as uterine cancer. And so Mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we understand that although common, it doesn't make everything optimal. So then when we move past the period, if I take you through the cycle, uh, in a typical healthy cycle, after your period, you know, your your ovaries are starting to prepare for ovulation. So during that pre-ovulatory phase, what we would expect to happen is that as those follicles are growing, they're releasing estrogen. That estrogen is stimulating the uterine lining to build back up after it's just been shed. And that estrogen also stimulates cervical mucus production. And cervical mucus is the clear, stretchy, kind of like raw egg whites or the creamy white hang- hand lotion that we produce in advance of ovulation. And it actually helps to keep the sperm alive for up to five days. It's a great sign of fertility. Mm. It's a really good sign to pay attention to for timing when you're trying to conceive. Uh, just as what you were saying earlier, we're not fertile every day, but this mucus helps us to, to identify when in our cycle we're fertile. So in a healthy cycle after the period, we typically expect to see a couple of days before we see that. So a couple of days we would call dry days. And then we would expect to see the cervical fluid anywhere from two to seven days um, leading up to it. And in a healthy cycle, we would then expect to ovulate. So ovulation has to happen in order for it to ha- us to have a cycle at all and in order for us to consider that normal. <clears throat> and o- the overall length of what we would consider a normal cycle falls somewhere between about 24 and 35 days with an average of about 29 days. And so what's helpful is that, no, your cycle doesn't have to be 28 days every single time to be normal. And if it's sometimes 27 days or 32, um, we only consider it to be, quote, irregular if it's uh, varying more than about eight days from cycle to cycle. And so even that is interesting because I've Mm -hmm. spoken to so many women that's like, my cycle's irregular, but then it's like sometimes 34, like, you know, 30 two days or 34 days and then like 26 days or 20 and it's it's all within the normal range so Mm -hmm. I think that can be a bit of a relief yeah Um, but in order for your cycle to actually be within that range ovulation typically then would be happening somewhere between days 10 and 23 so there is a range ovulation does not always happen on day 14 um, and it's not immediately problematic if it's not but many of us because we've been trained this way even if we're charting, even if we're like mm-hmm. open to this idea that the cycles could vary, we're still looking for ovulation on day 14 and kind yeah. of shocked if it's happening a little earlier or a little later. So that's some information. And then as I wrap up <laughs> um, my description of what a normal cycle is, once you've ovulated, then the second half of the cycle, you know, the, is, we call it the post-ovulatory phase or luteal phase. And what happens in that part of the cycle is that now that you've ovulated, we start to produce significant amount of progesterone and that shuts down that cervical mucus production. It helps to mature the uterine lining and prepare 
um, prepare that lining for implantation. So progesterone plays a key role in making the uterine lining receptive to a fertilized egg. And <clears throat> what we would expect in that half of the cycle, if in a normal healthy cycle for it to last 12 to 14 days. So from ovulation in a healthy cycle, we want that luteal phase to be long enough. That's a sign that we're making good progesterone production. It needs to be long enough so that there's enough time for that fertilized egg to be successful in implantation. Um, if the progesterone isn't high enough, if it's not normal, if it's not optimal, we're more likely to experience PMS symptoms, a short luteal phase, premenstrual spotting, like a whole host of issues that aren't pleasant. Um, so again, within that whole description, there's a lot of different areas then that we can pay attention to. So going back to the concept of the vital sign, um, whether it's cervical mucus, if you have some you know, strange abnormal discharge every single day that's outside of normal, it could tell us something as simple as, you know, maybe you have a yeast infection. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, now that I've gone through that in such detail, you can just imagine there's a lot of information mm -hmm. that we can gather just by paying attention to these various stages of the menstrual cycle. Absolutely. Oh my word. Okay. So my question here, my personality is I want to cure the world right now. I just, that's my impulse. <laughs> so try to think for our listeners, like if, if their cycle isn't, um, right or going within like the norm that you're talking, what are some things that made their cycle not right? And then how can we cure their lives? But like, even for you, did you notice that like, I know now that you've said that, like you use nutrition to cure it. So kind of um, on the back end of the of the conversation, like what's helped me solve this for the world? Like how did we get this way and how can we help um, people both in preventative medicine and then maybe what to do about it if it's if it's already bad for them? Yes. Well, I mean, that's a pretty huge question. <laughs> I know. I know. We don't have time to solve the world in three minutes. Well, <laughs> no. It's okay. I'll, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that one. Yeah. Um, but it is a pretty huge question. Think about it, though, is that the menstrual cycle is not by itself on the beach alone or something. Um, what I mean by that is that the menstrual cycle is reflecting what's happening in your overall health. So it's not a magical crystal ball where we can say, oh, you had spotting on this day. It means you have this specific problem. Mm -hmm. um, that's not what the way that I use it in practice. Um, but the way that, so I have a practitioner training program now and I, I teach practitioners how to use the menstrual cycle as a vital sign with their clients. Cool. And so we have a framework for how we look at the menstrual cycle and how we support our clients, like you said, to kind of fix these issues for mm -hmm. them, right? Or to mm -hmm. help them to, to empower them to, uh, you know, get their cycles back into line. So what we do is we actually marry what we're seeing on the cycle with a detailed intake form so that we have context for what's happening. Because what can happen in the menstrual cycle is you could see one specific type of issue um, and it could mean different things. So let me give you an example. So I'll go with the kind of abnormal bleeding example. So if, if, if you're speaking to um, like a, a client of yours and they have just, you know, these this five days of kind of like heavy unexplained bleeding, it's not their period, they just had their period and, <clears throat> you know, there's just this bleeding in the, the middle of the cycle, they're not sure what it is, um, without any context, uh, it could mean a whole lot of things. Mm -hmm. So um, I've... I've had this situation at different times, you know, so in one, if you have the background and history of what's going on with somebody, um, you know, they have, uh, you know, maybe it was they, they had they had sex and all of a sudden then the bleeding started and you have this context information mm -hmm. and they go to, um, you know, refer them to the doctor because when there's abnormal bleeding, it's a good idea to refer them to the mm -hmm. doctor. Right? Um, and, you know, I've had clients come back with, you know, maybe polyps or maybe fibroids or maybe, um, I had a client who their doctor told them that they had adenomyosis. So there's, you know, that kind of scenario. Um, I've had a different situation with clients where, you know, they have this bleeding and it seems to be kind of continuing. Maybe it's like, you know, not as heavy as a period, but it's been going on for a little while. But then as soon as you do the intake and have the context, you know, they've literally had a miscarriage a month mm -hmm. ago. Um, that's a, a kind of an emergency situation because if you have retained tissue, it could lead to an infection and be really serious. So, 
So hopefully this gives you just a slight answer to the question. I mean, part of it, which yeah. is that we don't just look at the symptoms and then pretend to have a crystal ball and know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. We look at those symptoms in context mm -hmm. and then really look at what is the most possible issue for this person right now. Um, and so but the, the more general question that you asked of like, how do we solve this? How do we support having optimal cycles? Um, there are a variety of foundational factors that we teach to our practitioners. And what's interesting is that a lot of the menstrual cycle issues can be restored to like, it's kind of like the 80-20 rule where um, often we want a magic pill, mm -hmm. but our lives aren't exactly in control. Like mm -hmm. we know we should be getting good sleep. Like we mm -hmm. know we shouldn't be drinking wine like 16 times a day. Like we know mm -hmm. we shouldn't be drinking coffee three times a day. Like we, we know, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but when it comes down to it, what I find the most interesting and empowering about this mode of working with clients is that it really does like highlight, bring to their attention how much they have, um, how much control they inadvertently have over their health. Mm -hmm. And it serves as a really incredible um, motivational tool for them. So if we go down the line, I mean, if your sleep is off, if you are not sleeping in the dark, for example, um, you know, that supports melatonin levels. We were just joking about how our phones are red because mm -hmm. we're trying to minimize our blue light exposure. Yeah. It can be really disruptive of hormones. So mm -hmm. if you're looking at ways to improve your luteal phase and get, get a couple extra days, improve your progesterone, like one of the freest things to do, <laughs> easiest and freest, yeah. is to make sure you're sleeping in a, a dark environment. One of the most common issues that I've been seeing, um, especially over the last few years, is the tendency for women to inadvertently undereat. Ah, yes. So mm -hmm. in, in the new book, uh, you know, Lily really does a throwdown on why protein is essential for mm. optimal menstrual cycle health and yeah. hormone balance. Now, we need all three macronutrients. We need protein, fat, and carbohydrates, mm -hmm. you know, in, in optimal amounts and balanced, you know, balanced to balance blood sugar, all those things. Um, but protein in particular, I, I pick on quite a bit because what happens is that many of us um, inadvertently, we don't mean to do it, but we inadvertently under eat protein, over eat carbs, mm -hmm. and then um, we work out a lot. And mm -hmm. sometimes there's a bit of intention there. Maybe mm -hmm. we want to lose a little bit of weight, right? All the things. But it really shows up in the menstrual cycle. So that's, you know, making sure that we're eating enough, um, that we're balancing our macros, that we are eating for our activity level is absolutely crucial to having an optimal menstrual cycle. And I can say these things and everyone can nod their head. But mm -hmm. when you're charting your cycle, it becomes not just Lisa said the thing. Mm -hmm. It becomes, well, your luteal phase is nine days. <laughs> right. PMS yeah. is totally out of control. Yeah. And you may not want to hear what I'm saying, but then like if you know, if you humor me and try upping the protein and et cetera, let's see what happens with the cycle. And that's one of the things that I love about this work because it really goes from me telling you what to do and mm -hmm. you seeing for yourself. Um, and if I'm wrong with my assessment, nothing will change on the cycle and we go back to the drawing board, right? So I think that um, I, I, I really love this modality because um, it, it matches with my science brain, mm -hmm. my excessive uh, desire to research. And part of that is as women, we deserve better. Mm -hmm. How many uh, of the listeners, and I'm sure the two of you have ever, well, you literally just said this, but you go to the doctor with the issue and they either dismiss you, mm -hmm. they tell you it's in your head, oh no, it couldn't be related, diet doesn't have anything to do with it, mm -hmm. you know, the only thing that you can mm -hmm. do is the pill. Like, we actually deserve a whole lot better and that's yeah. part of my drive to inform my recommendations and information with science, especially in my writing. Um, and in my work with practitioners um, to make sure that it's not just Lisa said this, that you can go back to the study and read it. But in addition to that, when you're tracking the menstrual cycle, you can actually see in real time mm -hmm. how changing these things um, makes an improvement. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I love that like knowledge is power and that you have like a practitioner walking along with the client and being like that in real time, like what did you do? How did it actually affect you? And in and, and this day and age, how we can have all that biofeedback to be like, 
oh, this change has happened. It's like such a cool time to be alive. And I feel- and you don't need an app to do it. Yeah. Oh, put it in there. oh yeah, true. But I think it's what's really interesting about, maybe it's because I'm old school too. Like mm-hmm. I started charting in like the year 2000, right? Like <laughs> yeah. before all the apps. But I think it's also interesting that what we're doing is actually pretty low tech in a way. Like we're just tracking our. Oh, you're right. Like, like look at the mucus. What does it look like? Yeah, yeah you're right. Paper charts. Just, and, and yeah, just like and like actually just pay attention to how it is. Oh, amazing. And I find too with a lot of my clients when we're looking at period health, it's also an opportunity for them to see how stress might be impacting their lives, where otherwise mm-hmm. they may have been um, sort of dismissing that stress because we can, they'll be like, you know, oh, I, I skipped, I've, I skip periods occasionally, or I've skipped a period or, and it's kind of like, well, what was going on in your life at the time that that happened? Well, I had just had a really difficult time at work. Like my boss, my boss was really being hard at Mm -hmm. me. I missed, I missed a deadline or I was fighting a lot with my spouse. And so then that's an opportunity too, for us to talk about you know, this might be, if this is not a normal thing for you, but you skipped a period, right? Following mm-hmm. this event, <laughs> mm-hmm. Check where the context. you went through it, like, let's look at how you may be handling stress because we can't keep stress out of our lives, but let's talk about how you're handling stress. And here's, mm-hmm. you know, I know you think stress isn't impacting you, but here's maybe a pretty obvious sign of how stress may be impacting you. So even just for little, like, people who have normal cycles and then suddenly don't, that can be an indicator as well, even Mm -hmm. of just the lifestyle and how stress is impacting them. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'd love to go into that for a little bit because I I find it to be so interesting. Um, For women who really, you know, jump into charting and for anyone who's listening, who's like, this is amazing, I want to start doing it. I always say that charting attracts a certain kind of woman like myself, kind of type A, like we're willing and excited about Mm -hmm. tracking all of these details. Uh, we jump into the weeds and and one of the challenges that i i have because you know the method of charting that i teach is is very detailed you can really go into the weeds if you want to um have all these different notations for the mucus and and it really helps to clarify what's going on but it's very um it can be very detailed right so what can happen is that you can get a little bit obsessed with this concept of having a perfect cycle. So one of the things I'm always telling my clients and practitioners is that there's no such thing as a perfect chart because we're human, like you're not Mm -hmm. a robot. So there's going to be changes. And one of the key things about using the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, um, and this is part of the, the protocol that, you know, I teach my practitioners in helping their clients to kind of support this, is knowing the difference between situational stressor and then like a chronic issue Mm -hmm. because let's say in the example that you gave your boss is like a maniac (laughs) and you're trying to live your best life and then you have this super stressful month and your period you know your ovulation is delayed therefore your period is delayed etc etc so you know if i'm sitting with a client and we're looking at the chart it's like wow ovulation happened on day 30 this cycle and it usually happens you know not that late on what was going on and sometimes it's like you don't really think about it until someone asks you that question you know like oh well actually this thing happened and could that be related and i'm always like yes it could (laughs) be related um but when we look at that objectively you could think oh my gosh like if i ovulate on day 30 that means maybe my period doesn't come until day 44 let's say if you have a good healthy luteal phase or whatever and that must mean that i have this problem or this right yeah she told me it was a vital side like do i have pcos like this and so (laughs) and so you know i think what's what's really helpful is that to know that you know everybody if you chart for a year like or more like I've been charting for two decades now mm-hmm. so if you look at your so I look at things very differently yeah. um, because I don't look at one cycle as the be all and end all because not so mm-hmm. if you were to look at a 12 cycle arc there's going to be one that's longer than the rest there's going to be one that's shorter than the rest you, you'll have a median a mean uh, and a mode a mode yeah. right back to math class yeah mm-hmm. like the average and then the the I, there was one year that my mode was um I think it was 29 days so like my most common cycle length was 29 days, yeah. but they weren't all 29 days. And I did have a longer one and a shorter one and et cetera. So um, I, I guess the point I'm making is that we teach our practitioners to know the difference between the situational issue that does not reflect on your overall health. Mm-hmm. If you have one, everyone's allowed a weird one. So everyone can get a weird one, a weird mm-hmm. sign, a weird symptom. The key is knowing the difference between that one kind of 
situation and we can explain it with whatever's going on in our lives at that time versus the chronic issue because it's very very different for a woman to have one cycle that's really long that coincides with a really stressful event versus the woman who always has 54 day cycles or you know and it fluctuates between 45 and 54 or 60 or whatever mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. so i think that's something to rem- to keep in mind um two questions quick one is this true that you ovulate it does it go every other side or is can it be right right left left you know for when you ovulate. I, I'm of the opinion that our bodies can do whatever they want. Uh-huh. I think that it is, I think that in many cases it, it does alternate, you mm-hmm. know, now whether that's like, I don't, you know, we're not robots, right? So whether it's always the same, some it. women will feel uh, what we call Mittelschmerz, mm-hmm. which is um, that kind of ovulation pain. And so for clients who can feel it, I encourage them to note that. So uh-huh. um, on their on their charts to note if it was on the right or the left, uh-huh. just for interest sake, so that we can kind of get a sense of, of what yeah. it is. And there's people who can go into the weeds on that because maybe one side tends to be a little stronger than the other side. And I've heard women say, well, you know, I wonder if when I ovulate on this side, if my PMS is worth, like, I don't know if we want to go that detail. Uh, yeah. um, but what I always tell my clients with questions like this is like, well, let's let's see what we can note. Like, because once you start noting the, the alternations, I think that you can see for yourself um, if it's really happening every other cycle. Yeah. I, I kind of, yeah. oh, sorry. Well, no, I don't no, want to cut you off, but I also want to leave time because I want to talk a little bit about your book with Lily Nichols and get into some of that oh, yeah. nutrition for fertility because for our listeners who are looking to get pregnant, this is such a big topic and such an important one. And I think wherever you're at in that journey, like it's time to begin taking care of your body for fertility yes. today. So I do want to talk a little bit about that book. Um, and, and, Let's talk more about that, like nutrition for fertility. Yes. What are some of the things yes. that a woman can do to prepare her body for conception? Um, like nutritionally speaking, lifestyle wise, what are some of the things they can do? And can we talk a little bit about birth control? So for women oh, who yes. have been on birth control, how should they prepare for having a baby? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, so I'll start off by saying, of course, that Lily is the resident nutritionist. And so it's her wheelhouse. And she goes, the book is uh, really providing you with the roadmap of not just like what we think is a good idea. But um, we actually had over 2400 notes, like citations. Wow. To the point that we had to include the full citation list as a, a, a down, uh, like a separate download for those who want the full list because we it was it would have been like an extra 150 pages. That's yeah, incredible. Citations. It's like a thesis. Um, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what's really interesting about it is we go to those lengths um, to, uh, I suppose, to kind of reassure and educate because, like I said, mm. I believe women deserve this knowledge, but mm. ultimately the advice and nutritional information makes a whole lot of sense. It's not like just because we go through all that detail doesn't mean that it's so complicated. Right. Um, You know, there's several foods. You could even think of them as foundational that support fertility because they're rich in the key nutrients that we need to support hormone health, menstrual cycle health and fertility. And so, you know, we go at at length into some of those foods. Um, We talk about animal foods. So the benefits of... um, of, of meat in general. We talk a little bit about that. We talk about organ meats in particular because yes. they're particularly particularly high in some of the key nutrients that we need to support fertility, such as, you know, vitamin A and zinc and coenzyme Q10. And there's like a, you know, iron, um, B vitamins, folate. So there's, um, you know, we talk extensively about organ meats, fish we talk about in seafood, which have a number of key nutrients that are key to supporting fertility. Um, you know, DHA, omega-3 fatty acids, uh, zinc, vitamin B12. There's, you know, so many different nutrients in, in those foods. So we really go um, extensively into those um, aspects of it and we lay out the framework. And so I think one thing that's really interesting to keep in mind is, is where you're starting from. So your question about the birth control pill, you know, for a woman who's not currently on hormonal contraceptives, who's using some sort of non-hormonal birth control method, who has relatively normal cycles that are falling mostly within the parameters that we talked about, we recommend a minimum period of time of three to six months where you're really focusing on um, building up your nutritional stores. And the one of the reasons for that is, you know, even we can go into egg quality. We have a whole chapter on egg quality and a separate uh, chapter on uh, sperm quality. 
And the period of time that is most important, you could say, for supporting egg quality is about that three month, uh, and I would even argue three to six months, but most uh, crucially that three month period before you um, start trying. Um, that is really the period of time for both egg and sperm quality that is going to determine the quality of your eggs and the quality of your partner's sperm. I often say that if your partner were to ejaculate today, that's a printout of what he was eating three months ago. Mm -hmm. So whatever he starts doing today, that's really going to determine what we're going to see three months from now, six months from now. Um, so that's kind of the bare minimum. Now, for someone who's <clears throat> currently on hormonal birth control, that's a little bit different because we do know that hormonal birth control depletes a variety of key nutrients, uh, ironically, many of the same ones that we do need for mm -hmm. conception or fertility, mm -hmm. including B vitamins, including zinc, um, um, particularly folate. And, and we know uh, how important folate is for mm -hmm. uh, fetal development. So for someone who's on hormonal contraceptives right now, let's mm -hmm. say they're listening and they're taking contraceptives and they're you know thinking about becoming pregnant in the future. So what I encourage, um, you know, women to think about is, um, and I'll give an example because I've spoken to so many women over the years who they had this kind of intuition, curiosity, question in their mind of like, mm -hmm. should I be coming off the birth control pill? My partner and I are planning to have a baby next year. So they make an appointment, you know, take a shower, put on their clothes, <laughs> go to the doctor. I stress these little details because like, it's not like you just got there, right? You're your feeling was enough to do all of those steps to mm -hmm. only to go to the doctor. And often I've ha heard women tell me that their doctors say, oh, there's no need for that. And just, mm -hmm. you know, it's okay. And, um, and what's interesting about that is if we look at what the research says, the research shows us that there is this temporary period of subfertility post pill. Um, it's not a permanent, it's the, and it, it's not to say that the pill is, is causing um, fertility issues, but the way that the pill works, it actually suppresses ovarian function. Um, it suppresses the ovarian reserve parameters. And so when you come off the pill, there's studies that show that it takes, you know, anywhere from nine to 12 cycles before those cycles fully normalize. There's studies that show that it can take um, time, uh, increase the time to pregnancy. So there's one study that looked at couples who were using condoms, so non-hormonal methods, and the average time to preg pregnancy was about four months mm -hmm. versus the women who were on combined oral contraceptives, and the average time to pregnancy was eight months. Mm -hmm. So it, the the average was double for the women who were on the pill. That doesn't mean that some women, you know, don't come off the pill and get pregnant right away. It doesn't mean that some women don't get pregnant while they're still taking the pill. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it does mean that, like, I buy, like, we have insurance on our car because it's like mandated by law, mm -hmm. but also because we we don't plan to get into accidents, but if we do, we wanna have like a backup plan. Mm -hmm. And this is the same idea. We should be able to plan ahead, not anticipating any fertility issues, but to set ourselves up optimally. So right. my then recommendation is if you're on contraceptives and you were never, you, you don't really recall that you had any cycle issues. Mm -hmm. So maybe you literally just went on hormonal contraceptives for birth control, you don't recall having any stuff going on with your cycle, then I would say an absolute minimum of six to 12 months, you want to consider coming off contraceptives before you're ready to start trying. So you'd be coming off contraceptives when you're still actively avoiding, looking at alternative non-hormonal methods to give your body the time it needs to um, to normalize and also to, to chart if you want to start charting just to pay attention to your cycles and see if there's any signs of issues so you have a little bit of time ahead that if it did you know many women come off the pill and they start ovulating they get their first period within two weeks like it does happen but some women don't start ovulating for a month or six weeks or eight weeks or even three or four months and then there's you know a, a smaller percentage of women who actually takes them a long time like a year or more like there, you know, mm. and so the other thing is that if you, you did go on the pill because you had cycle issues, because you did have irregular cycles, because you didn't know when your next period was coming, because you had extremely painful periods and you couldn't manage them, then I would say you're in a different category because the pill, uh, what it can do is it can mask cycle issues. Like if your cycles were really irregular mm -hmm. and you went on the pill and you were told that that was regulating your cycle, it's not regulating anything. What it's doing is giving you an artificial bleed every 28 days. 
and it, it makes us all feel better. But then if that was you, you're more likely to then come off the pill and see it's not that the pill didn't cause those issues, but the pill may have been masking it. So mm -hmm. you're at a higher risk to have those issues resume. Um, it's, it's similar to my experience where I went on it for the pain and then I came off of it, the pain was still there. Mm -hmm. So in that case, I would strongly consider if you have the time, even as much as 18 months to two years um, in that specific case. And although that might sound so excessive and you know, there's plenty of people, eh, that's you know, too much. It's not too much because I've also mm -hmm. seen what happens when women come off who did have that history, who whose period does not return right away. Uh, and if you come off right when you're finally ready to start trying mm -hmm. and your period doesn't come back for eight months or nine months, that is one of the most stressful experiences. It's awful. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just such a horrible experience to have to go through. So if you were able to come off of it a little bit ahead of time, even if you did have some issues, you're not actively trying yet. You're not ready yet. You have a little bit of time to try to contend with those issues before the pressure is really on for you to start building your family. Absolutely. And as somebody who it took me three years, my husband and I, three years of trying to get pregnant, I can tell you how incredibly awful infertility can be and what a difficult experience it is. Um, and so certainly there were things I, during that journey was like, man, I wish I had looked into this years sooner. Like I wish I had pushed harder on, on those painful periods and done, you know, like done more digging for myself, advocated for myself instead of waiting until I wanted to get pregnant and then realizing a year in, Maybe these painful periods are a problem. So for anybody who's considering it, do the extra work and start early because there's no way for you to know what infertility feels like until you're going through it. And it's it's shitty. So <laughs> don't wait until you're in that situation and then and then like experience it. Just do the work ahead of time. And I also want to just like press replay on that statement you said that a pill a pill bleed, like a, the pill period, quote, quote unquote, that you have when you're on birth control is not an actual period. It is a pill induced bleed. It's not a real period. And I think a lot of women don't know that either. They're like, well, I got on the pill and it regulated my periods. No, mm -hmm. no, it suppressed all of your ovarian function. Mm -hmm. And then you have this pill induced bleed that happens, but that's not your actual period. It's, mm -hmm. it's something actually that just makes women feel better about being on the pill because it's kind of freaky if you don't bleed for like six years. <laughs> yeah. So, so as a um, practitioner, you, I'm, I'm gathering that you encourage your clients to kind of work away from the pill and try more natural ways. Is that fair to say, or is it depend well, on the so it case by case? Because I'm not really telling people what to do. Yeah, um, right. I mean, I'm making suggestions, but um, really what it comes down to is what your goals are. Okay. So it's not a blanket statement that everybody needs to do something. Yeah. Um, but even to kind of go back to my suggestion for women who are planning to have babies, this is for women who are planning to have babies. What I think is interesting about our culture is that uh, we plan for a lot of things. Like I remember um, when I was getting married, I had just moved to a new city and I took two years to plan for this wedding, not because I particularly needed that long, but because I was in a new city, I didn't want to stress myself out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when it comes to pregnancy, we are told that we can get pregnant on any day of the cycle. I mean, we're told that it's just a given that we're going to happen. It's going to happen. And we are really pushed heavily, especially uh, the women younger than me, um, I'm in my early 40s now, but the women who are in the younger generation in their 20s and 30s, it's heavily, heavily pushed to the point that they don't even think condoms work. They're told, <laughs> yeah. like the, they're uh. told that it's only, you know, contraceptives now. Uh -huh. And <clears throat> and so what I'm encouraging people to do is to understand some of the issues related to it so that you can make those decisions for yourself. Yeah. I believe that not only should we be able to avoid pregnancy when we don't want pregnancy, but mm -hmm. I believe we should have the right to conceive, hopefully easily, when we're ready. Yeah. We should also have that right. And the only way to have that right <laughs> and yeah. to have that play out in real life is to talk about fertility, to yeah. talk about how it changes over time, and to talk about how contraceptives can, in some cases, have an impact on that. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I, of course, I'm not saying that every woman comes off the pill and it takes her forever to get pregnant, because that's not true. Mm -hmm. But many women do, and you don't know if it's going to be you. So mm -hmm. um, I'm sharing this information because where else are you hearing it? Yeah. Now, think about, you ever heard anybody tell you this stuff? Right, to and even so question. I'm on, 
Yeah, exactly. Like I'm on the other side. Um, when I'm working with clients, they're typically coming to me because they didn't get pregnant right away. Mm-hmm. And they're typically coming to me because they're told everything is fine. Mm-hmm. And because they were told that, you know, they, they, they may have been on the pill up until the minute that they were ready to conceive. There may have been all of these signs that there could be an issue, like the mm-hmm. painful periods, like the irregular cycles, um, like being put on the pill specifically to manage their out of control PMS, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, these are signs that there was a hormonal imbalance. The pill did not fix the hormonal imbalance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you a, a quick story since we're on this. Um, when I was researching for the fifth vital sign, I read this book called The Fertility Doctor, and it's this whole story about how the pill came about. And so it talks about how, you know, the pill came out in 1960, and the, the year or two prior to that, they were doing what I would call a beta test. So they were, you know, trying out this new formulation on a group of women. And this is in the late 50s. There was no pill. There was no concept of it. So and some of the women who were put on it were actually trying to get pregnant. And so the, the, the idea was that we're going to, you know, stop the ovulation and then it's going to bounce back and you're going to be more fertile, like legit. So then these women went put on the pill and at the time they didn't have the induced pill bleed. So they went on it and it was just continuous. And so what happened is they thought they were pregnant because there's like no precedent for this. To lose your period means you're pregnant or uh-huh. ill, right? Yeah. Back right. in the 50s. So these women, many of them, because... Some of them were actually trying to get pregnant. We're excited and happy. And the doctors had a really hard time explaining, like, actually, no, you're not pregnant. Like, this is a drug. So this, out of this experience is what um, oh what the pill kind of that we have today, right? Which is that they added in this withdrawal bleed to mimic a regular cycle so that the women would feel comforted by the period. So now, fast forward all these years later, that women, the pill's been on the market since 1960. We're all kind of comfortable with this idea. Now they come out with the seasonal, right? The four period a year scenario. And doctors are a lot more comfortable telling women just to take it continuously and not bleed at all. And now they're very bold about it. Oh, well, there was never a reason for us to give that pill bleed. You know, there, there's no medical reason for that. So so there's no reason to have it now. And and it's, it's this whole thing. Um, but this bit of wow. history hopefully will help you to understand what the pill does. It doesn't, it's not a menstrual cycle. It just shuts down ovulation. Um, which can reduce symptoms for sure. And it can increase, improve the quality of life for somebody who's having some issues because it's taking away the symptoms. But by no means is it fixing the problem. When you come off the pill, you still have to contend with the issue. Wow, that story is wild. Like, that's crazy. Um, I remember in high school, um, back in like, what were they, late 90s that yeah, everyone was on the pill, but I was like, do I do that? I don't know. But all my friends were like, no, you're just going to get really moody and you're going to gain weight. Don't do it. And now looking back, so that's why I, I never went on the pill um, because of my one friend's advice. And now I'm kind of glad she gave me that advice. So I just <laughs> didn't want to be, you know, like gaining weight and being a bitch. I don't know. <laughs> well, the truth of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know there's just a thousand more more concepts we could jump into with you lisa and gosh we'd love to have you on again too just to get into some of the like deeper dive on fertility but i think we did such a a good general overview of things today um and i want to respect your time but is there anything in closing that we haven't covered that you want to talk about Mm -hmm. with you know women's menstrual health and fertility awareness and then um with that how do people get if people want to work with you as a fertility awareness educator, how do they get in touch with you? Well, thank you so much for that. I think there's so many things I could say. I think the key is, um, if I think about what what closing words, um, I don't know how profound they're going to be, but mm-hmm. I do think that it's really important for us to take the the time and as much energy as we have to educate ourselves. It's really unfortunate that we can't just go to our practitioners and assume that they know everything and that they're going to lead us and guide us and give us all the best information. But this is not the world that we live in. Um, So unfortunately, it is up to us to take the time to educate ourselves as best as we can and just day by day, learn a little bit more and a little bit more. So in today's episode, you know, in our conversation, you learned a little bit more about your menstrual cycle and how it can play a role in helping to identify health issues and even support you in understanding your fertility better. And I would encourage you to run with that information. Um, I've created some resources as my attempt to put it out in the world. And um, so my first book, The Fifth Vital Sign, our newest book, Lily Nichols and I, um, Real Food for Fertility, 
everything we talked about today is in the book with more detail than we could ever go through in a podcast. So I would highly encourage you to to um, grab a copy, um, especially if you're somewhere on this fertility journey, or even if you just have some menstrual cycle issues and some hormonal stuff going on, and you're wanting a roadmap for how to, to support that. So the book will do both, even if you're not actively trying to to conceive right now. So you'll find those details at realfoodforfertility.com. That's the website for the book. Um, and uh, for any practitioners who are listening, who are intrigued by the what I mentioned about the practitioner program, I created this really interesting resource for practitioners called How to Interpret Virtually Any Chart That Your Client Throws At You. And you can find that over at fertilityfriday.com slash chart. Um, as for me, uh, you can find me at fertilityfriday.com. I'm on Instagram at fertilityfriday, like you mentioned already. And if this topic interests you and you would like to go into the rabbit hole with me, um, you can search Fertility Friday on your favorite podcast player. We're over 500 episodes strong, which is completely insane. Um, we've been putting out episodes since 2014. Wow. Wild. The 10th year. That's, <laughs> That's insane. Of the, of the podcast. Yes, it's, it's, in- it's wild. How old am I? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? You hit 40. Goodness. That's Lisa, amazing. You are such a bright light. I'm so appreciative of having you on. And I just, again, I want to encourage every woman listening to this today, whether you're trying to get pregnant or not, you know, your periods are a vital sign. They are a sign of what's going on in your body. Remember, hormones impact everything in your body. They impact your gut function, your digestion. They impact how you respond to stress. They impact your thyroid health. They impact like whether you're susceptible to seasonal colds and flus. So, you know, anything that can be a sign of hormonal health, like your menstrual cycle, is something to pay attention to, even if you don't think it matters because you don't want to get pregnant. It's still a huge indicator of your overall health. So thank you so much, Lisa, for diving into this topic with us. We've really appreciated having you on. And man, just keep being the bright light that you are. I'm so glad I got to meet you. I feel like I really did (laughs) meet a hero. And I'm so excited. And we'd love to have you on again in the future too to take a deeper dive into some of these topics because I've been in that rabbit hole for quite a while. And <laughs> there's so <it's> much. Awesome. <laughs> there's so much. Yeah, Lisa, I'm so impressed with like your total passion for this. Like it's amazing. And like you giving that to the world is amazing. It's so needed. And it, then your science background, like back up all that you're saying, like it's just really cool and really respectable. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. And um, you're definitely like your personality. You're a renegade like us in this modern world. We got to, you know, push ahead our, our ways of thinking and more pushing that natural way to the surface, which we love. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being our guest. And to our listeners, go be renegades. Go be renegades. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information. The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades! Go be renegades!